0: bit of sports yesterday, not a ton. watched about two minutes of the Kentucky game and that was enough. For some of you, you had to watch that whole thing, didn't you? Oh, that's bad <clears throat> for some. Anyway, uh, I watched some football yesterday and, uh, you know, I love, I, this time of year I love to watch professional football because it's, to me, it's, it, it's pretty interesting. You you see, it's you know it's ten degrees below zero in some of these places, and you you know you look at the line of scrimmage, and it's just you see their breath and so on, and then they they, 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 they pan the crowd, and there's some crazy dude with his shirt off and body paint, and, you know, I mean, it's like dude, it's ten degrees below zero. What are you doing? But but he you know he he's beyond a fan. I mean, there, there are fans. You know, some of you are kind of casual fans of this team and that. That's kind of the way I am with basketball and football. And then there are fanatics. I mean, those are the folks. They go all out. The, you know, the whole day revolves around that game or whatever. You know, it's heart and soul is all into this thing. Win or lose, you live and die with your team. You know, sometimes you kind of look at those people as being a little weird. You know, I mean, they, they're radical. I mean, they are they're out there. But, you know, part of me wonders, honestly, when it comes to something like sports, it's really just meant for entertainment and our enjoyment. And I think God gives us those things that, that we can just be entertained by and enjoy. Just, you know, not everything in life needs to be real heavy. Um, but I wonder if sports, really, if sometimes that's the way you ought to do it. If you ought to be that dude who's, who's 10 degrees below zero with your chest painted and just going crazy just because, you know what, this is going to be kind of fun today. I wonder if maybe radical fans are the ones that really enjoy it the most. And the ones who are sort of one foot in and one foot out, they're not really all out for it. I, I don't know. I, I think about that as it pertains to the Christian life, and and the, and the parallel is, is obvious. You know, I wonder really if, if the life that Jesus has called us to is really meant to be more radical than we realize. If it's really meant to be just heart and soul all the time, and not, and not just something that ends when the service closes in prayer on Sunday morning. I wonder if for you, maybe you've wondered, is there more to this thing? Is there something beyond sort of this one foot one foot out? You know, it's, it's okay, but man, I, I really want to know, is there something more? And if there is, then how do I get there? What is it? I, I really think that, that that's the way the Christian life is really just to be normal and expected. It's just to be kind of a, a radical, on-fire kind of believer, but not radical in the sense of crazy. And you know, we see that around the world. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about radical in the sense of crazy, but, but honestly, radical in the sense that it's a true, whole life, unending commitment that, as I said, doesn't stop just when we say amen on Sunday morning. We're in a series called The Way of the Master, and just really just trying to highlight some stuff from the life of Jesus, from his ministry, from the people that walked around with him. What really is this thing supposed to be? What really is the way of Jesus Christ, the way of our master? What are some of the simple things that he taught, that he lived, that he expected from his followers, that we can get on board with? You realize you don't have to have lived, physically lived, literally around Jesus to be just like those disciples were in their commitment. So how can we get there? And and the idea is that really an apprenticeship is best, and how can we walk in the way of our master? How can we learn from him? And he, of course, walked around with 12 disciples, three that were particularly close. Many of them went on to write what we have as the Scripture, the New Testament Scripture. And so, by, sort of by proxy, we can have an apprenticeship with Jesus. My one goal, as I've told you as your pastor, is that all of us, individually and then collectively, that we just simply walk in the way of Jesus. I really think that if we're doing that, then a lot of the stuff that, that comes up, we'd, we'd figure it out. I think a lot of the problems that churches have, quite honestly, uh, the little nitpicky stuff, you know, we just like to fight about this or that or whatever, it's because people aren't walking with the Lord. And so if we do that individually, collectively, we'll we'll have a lot fewer issues. Today, I, I want to kind of talk with us about that idea of being a radical follower of Jesus. I, I think that the way of our Master is probably more radical than a lot of us have experienced or we've committed to. Uh, but, but... I. I Today though, and and hear me on this, at the end of the service I'm not going to call you to do more, I'm not going to call you to give more, I'm not going to call you to to even go more, we talk about mission trips, I'm not going to call you just to, let's all get involved with this or that, that's not to me the foundation of the radical life with Christ, is doing more, giving more, uh, trying to make more effort. I really believe that the radical life of Christ, to be radical like Jesus was, is it's not about doing more necessarily, but it's about something so simple that we often miss it. And I think it's something that seems so passive that we sometimes dismiss it. And it's just, well, yeah, okay, I, I get that, but that's like, that's like little kid Sunday school, right? I'll just warn you the sermon this morning is going to be sort of like little kid Sunday school because it's so simple and it seems so passive, but I really believe that it's, it's what all of life comes down to. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. If you've got a Bible handy, get there somehow. You can use your smartphone or tablet or whatever. Hopefully you brought a copy of God's Word. If you don't have one, let us know. We'd be happy to, to get one for you. Jesus is going to demonstrate for us perfectly this simple, life-altering principle that is the foundation of a radical life with Jesus. The Scripture that we'll look at this morning is one maybe you've seen before. It's about the temptation of Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, the first 11 verses. So I guess in some ways this is kind of a sermon about temptation, but it's not, it's not going to be a sermon about just avoiding the dangers of different temptations and whatever. I mean, we, you know, we, we could go there, but that's not what I'm going to do. It, it's really not even a sermon about you know how to avoid temptation, though obviously that's important. And it's it's not a, a sermon on how temptation and giving into it can destroy your future, and certainly we know that's true. But but I think I think more than anything, this sermon is about what's going to be a challenge for you and a challenge for me for the rest of our lives. From the moment that you hear these verses and you interact with this sermon and you you take this stuff to heart, this is the challenge for all of us for the rest of our lives. It's a sermon that's about I think the most foundational. The the most important, the most helpful principle that you'll ever encounter, and it's really what all of life comes down to. So you're you ready for that? I mean, I just built it up. So now, I mean, I you know you're leaning in now, right? Anyway, I turn with me to Matthew four and let's look at it. Matthew chapter four. Uh, give you an idea what 's going on if you if you kind of look right before if you if you have your your Bible handy or want to flip back on your smartphone or whatever in chapter three you uh, you see John the Baptist introduce jesus he 's baptized jesus is it 's a symbolic way that he 's beginning his ministry the holy spirit's anointing comes on him and it's it 's obvious that he 's a special messenger from God, and so he he 's beginning his his ministry. And then he's led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness, the, the, the desert area, so to speak, to be tempted. And, and what Satan is going to try to use this temptation for is to get Jesus off track. God's going to use it for strengthening, uh, for, for helping him, for example, for us. And, and Jesus, during this time, he fasted the whole time, is 40 days, 40 nights. And he's isolated, he's physically weak, he's hungry. And then at the end of all that, that's when he faces this incredible temptation. My my question, really, when I read something like this, is why in the world did this even happen? I mean, what, what was the point of Jesus being led into the wilderness? Why did he begin his ministry with something like that? I mean, he gets baptized, and the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and it's symbolic, and here he is, he's ready to go. And then, just so, hey, by the way, as a side note, the next 40 days you're going to spend out in the wilderness... Having your faith tested, being strengthened, and being tempted. Why did he need that experience? What was it there for? Why did it? What did it prove to him, prove to him, prove about him? What are we to learn from it? And really that's the question that we'll look at this morning. Look with me, Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at what Jesus experienced, how we can respond to it. And then a simple principle along the way. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's verse 1. Verse 2. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And I don't think that's meant to be just a smart comment. I think it's just obvious. Look, he was real. He was human. The guy was hungry after not eating for 40 days. This was a real thing that he went through. Not some super spiritual experience. He was called up into the seventh heaven. and You know, it's it's real deal stuff. He's literally physically hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now let me just kind of, this is a pattern that's repeated. Satan's going to come to him and he's going to say, if you are the son of God, essentially what he's saying is not, you know, are you? He's saying, because you are. Since you are, here's what you can do. You have the power, you have the opportunity to do these things, and that's the temptation. Because you are the Son of God, do these things. The first one is about turning stones into bread. And so Satan essentially tells him, look, since you are, because you are the Son of God, there's really nothing wrong with you doing this. I mean, you're the Son of God. Uh, You know, you can do this, and so you should do these things he's he's giving him this this temptation to begin with in a very subtle seemingly small way look what's the problem jesus you're hungry right yep you're the son of god right which means you have incredible power correct so since you are hungry since you are the son of god you, you don't have any food there's some stones you could turn those into bread and you could have a great meal right here and and no big deal The temptation here for Jesus is is to address a very legitimate need in a way that was outside of God's provision and God's plan. I don't know if you've ever dealt with that. I would imagine you have. These temptations are very common. Uh, They're they're repeatable, and Satan is very good at repeating those in our lives. For for Jesus, the very legitimate need was his hunger. It's a legitimate need. It wasn't anything that was, well, it was kind of out there. He didn't really need that. The dude hadn't eaten in 40 days. He's hungry. It's a legitimate need. You think about the legitimate needs you have in your life. And sometimes we get our needs and our wants mixed up. But we do have very legitimate needs that God has built into us, physical needs. You need to eat. And some of us are going to eat really good today, aren't we? I need to eat, so I'm going to eat really good. But you need to eat. That's just part of it. You need to sleep, you need different things physically that that are just basic needs in your life. This is nothing new to you. We have emotional needs. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm one, and I don't know how you are, I'm one that I don't really like to admit those emotional needs very often. You know, I, there's something that happened when I, when I kind of, I guess, grew up. I don't know if I did. But I grew up and I became a man. I have new responsibility. I don't really like to admit that I have any emotional needs whatsoever. I'm sort of a stoic. Some of us are like that. Some of us hide those emotional needs and so on, and, and yet they're, they're real and they're, they're there. We have social needs, you we, we are built to be in relationship with people. You know, we, we, we get on to our young people, and Ben made a great, great point. You know, some of us view teenagers as just sort of a waste of air, you know. Oh, what are they doing? Right, you know, we forget that we weren't exactly born grown up, you know. We all went through that. It's just different manifestation of it. You know, you look at young people, and you see the deep, deep need for social interaction. It's just natural, isn't it? They just gravitate toward their friends or people that are like them. They want to be around their friends and their buddies and whatever. And we all have those deep needs. We have educational needs. you got to know certain stuff, don't you? Whatever it is. Some of you right now have the need to graduate. i just got to get done with school. (laughs) You're in your very last semester. I know a couple of fellows are here like that today. You're in your very last semester. i just got to get that. It's a need. Others, you need to know stuff for your job or whatever it may be. Those are legitimate needs. And most of us in the room still have vocational needs. Because if you don't work, guess what? You ain't getting paid. I mean, you ain't going to eat to meet that need. got vocational needs. It's a legitimate need to have a job. In most cases, for most people, that's just the way that it is. You got a legitimate need to work and to have a job. You know, it may sound embarrassing in church, but God has built us with sexual needs as well. You know, and I really believe that unless God has called you very specifically to be a single person the rest of your life, then, then you will have those needs and those desires very evident in your life. And, and how will you deal with those things? They're very legitimate needs. We have spiritual needs, of course. And we're built with a spirit. We're not just body. We are built with something immaterial, and we can't deny that. There's something about us that isn't just what we look like or the body we walk around in it actually makes us who we are. There's something immaterial that can't be quantified, And we know it when somebody dies, we don't talk about them anymore, that there they are. We talk about they're gone and there's their body. There's something about us. We have a spiritual need to connect with God. I hope this morning you'll have some of those needs front of mind because Jesus was presented with a very legitimate need. You're hungry. How are you going to feed yourself? What are you going to do when this legitimate need is all that you can see? He was starving, literally starving after 40 days of fasting. What will you do with those legitimate needs when they overwhelm you? And I think that's the question. And that's the temptation. Because if we're honest, we have those needs and those desires, those things that come up within us, so to speak, and sometimes they just get right here and we can't see anything else. And that's when temptation comes. What will we do with those things? Jesus' response, look at this. Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's quoting Scripture. And as a side note, in every temptation, of course, Jesus quotes Scripture in order to fight it. But he just looks at Satan and he says essentially, look, I get what you're saying, But my real food is not those stones that could be turned to bread. My real food is obeying my Father and trusting Him. And that's what I'm going to do no matter what. I would rather starve than disobey God. You talk about a radical life. You talk about a radical example. What if we taught our young people and our children to say, Look, I don't care what it costs you. Jesus Himself would rather have starved to death than disobey His Heavenly Father. How many of us live like that? How many of us have that kind of radical trust in God that, look, even if I starve to death, it's worth it because I'm not giving up on what He has called me to do. And in fact, I'm going to trust He'll meet my needs in His time. And that's what Jesus is saying. He responds with the Word of God, reflecting the character of God. Look, God, the Father loves me. He's he's not going to let anything happen to me outside of His good care and provision, and even if in this situation Jesus says, that good care and provision is for me to be done with this life, and I'm moving on, then I'm going to trust my Heavenly Father. You're going to be tempted in many of those same ways to meet legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. And those temptations will be very specific to whatever need happens to be in front of you in the moment. See, I, I saw this all the time when I dealt with young people on a regular basis when I was a youth minister. The need for social interaction, sexual needs, all of those things, emotional needs. And how many times do young people go about meeting those needs in patterns and paths that are outside the will of God? The truth be told, maybe their meeting those needs is a little more obvious and a little more public But sometimes we meet our needs in particular areas and we don't like to talk about it, but we still do those things just like we used to do when we were younger. We go about meeting our needs our way. Jesus said, I'm going to make sure that God the Father meets my needs. I'll not meet my own needs my own way. That's the first temptation. Second temptation, look at verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. really high up. And he said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. But he doesn't stop there. Here's how Satan works. For it is written. (laughs) Do you realize Satan knows the Scripture better better than you do? Excuse me. He knows it better than you do. Front, back, inside out, he knows it better than you do. He didn't know better than Jesus, but he knows it better than we do. For it is written, he says, He will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Essentially, he says, you jump, they're going to catch you. I mean, you're God's anointed one, right? You're the son of God. I mean, you can go up here, you jump. They're they're not going to let you hit the ground. Jesus told him, it is also written, (laughs) just in case you forgot. Do not test the Lord your God. Do you know what the temptation was here? Satan knew that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. He's not trying to deny that. He just says, look, because you are, you can do these things, and so why not? If Jesus had gotten to the top of the temple, and somebody looks up and sees him, it would be like somebody standing on top of our steeple up there. And you drive in for Sunday morning service, and there I am standing on top of the steeple. How did he get there? Don't worry about that. But I'm standing on top of the steeple and I say, hey, look, you know, gather everybody together and watch this because I know God and I know how much he loves me and how much he cares for me and how important I am to this church. And if I jump, he is not going to let me hit the ground. In fact, what he's going to do is going to be miraculous and you're going to see angels rush in and they're going to catch me and that will finally prove you should listen to me once and for all. You should listen every Sunday morning because look what just happened. Jesus is tempted there to put on a religious show and to jump and prove once and for all to all the people watching that he really is something special and watch what God will do for his special, special messiah on a religious show use God for his own advantage to do some things that you know hey look this is going to make me look good and in fact you know I'm going to prove to everybody who I am Jesus would have been able to not have to go through all the difficult stuff to prove he was the Messiah now he can just jump and he just says look you got this all wrong. You're right about the scripture. Yeah, God would catch me, but the scripture also says, "Don't test God like that." Don't do something and just expect God to catch you. Don't do it. Don't live however you want to live and just, well, God's okay with that because of grace. I get the grace thing, but I also understand that God is a God of grace, love, and also justice. And Jesus just says, "Look, don't put God to the test like that. Don't put on a religious show and be fake and just jump and all oh, you know whatever." And then Finally, people will listen to what you have to say. Jesus recognized it very early for what it was. It was a test of God. We encounter this when we're tempted to put on our religious face and our religious show. And I'm going to sort of pretend as if I've got all this together. And then I'll go live how I want to. But God's got it taken care of because, you know, I showed up at church on Sunday morning. And all is good. And I'm fine. And I know some scripture and all of that stuff not meant to be a legalist way of looking at things by any means or a condemning way of looking at things. But Jesus just said, look, I'm not going to test God in that way. I'm not going to do things just for religious show and to prove to everybody who I am. I wonder if you're ever tempted in that way. You know, I I, I was listening to a podcast the other day from some pastors and he put it this way and I've said it to you before. But he, he talked about pastors being professional Christians. And you realize I get paid to be a Christian. I don't say that in any way arrogantly. I say it hopefully to establish some common ground with you. That it's real tempting to put on a religious show. Because that's what I get paid to do. It's part of my job. To know the scripture. To give it to you when you come for advice. What do you expect when you you come and talk to the pastor? He's going to help me spiritually, right? I've got to be ready for that. You know, the truth is, a lot of times I'm just like you, and tempted to put on a religious show and have no... Depth whatsoever. You ever been there? I've been walking with God. Nah, but you know what? Sunday's coming, so I'm going to put on my face and I'm going to go in there and I'm going to glad hand everybody. And during that fellowship time, boy, how are you, boy? I'm good. Lord's blessing this week. Oh, it's good. And we talk about you know all the stuff that's great in our lives, and sometimes aren't we tempted to just put on a religious show and to jump, so to speak, and let God catch us? Jesus said, I'm not going to test God that way. I'm going to be legitimate, I'm going to be authentic. I'm not going to test God in that way. I'm not going to try to manipulate him into doing something or to covering for me or so on. The third temptation goes on in Jesus, <clears throat> verse 8, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you these things if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus told him, go away, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and immediately angels came and began to serve him. Here's the temptation. He takes him up so he can look out over all the nations. Do you know who who Jesus came to save? All the nations. Do you know who who, is involved in his kingdom? All the nations. And Satan says, Look, you can have everything that is rightfully yours. It already belongs to you. You're the Son of God. You, You own all of this stuff. These are all of your people. And he said, I'll give it to you without the pain and suffering of, of your ministry and the cross. You can shortcut the whole process, and right now you can have it all. And you can take a shortcut. You want to, have, to, to, to endure all that pain. You won't have to endure the Father turning his back on you while you hang on the cross. You won't have to wonder, God, why have you forsaken me? You won't have to worry about all your disciples running away from you. You'll never have a difficult moment in your life, Jesus, if you just go this route. I'll just give it all to you right now. Satan is called the prince of this world. He had dominion over those things and could have handed those kingdoms into Jesus' hands right then and there and he says, I'll give it to you. You don't have to endure the tough stuff. The temptation then is to take a shortcut. To not go through the difficult stuff that Jesus was going to have to go through. Jesus would gain immediate fame. And pride and power could avoid that difficult path of ministry and the pain of the cross and just shortcut the whole process to get where he knows that he's going to be anyway. And Satan says, I'll give it all to you. All you got to do is just take a knee. Just bow, submit to my authority. And Jesus, of course, is very forceful and simple in his response. He says, go away. Go away, man. I wish I could have been there for that. That would have been so great. It just looks at, go away. Really? You're serious, right? Go away, man. I'm not taking any shortcuts. I'm not worshiping anybody but my heavenly father. That's what the scripture says, and so I'm not going to take any shortcut to where it is that I need to be. You know the the reason that we have crazy things like crash diets, you know, some of you tried one of those for the first two days of January maybe like the first day and a half. You're like, man, I'm starving to death. Man, I can't just eat lettuce all day. You know, it's not going to work. No dressing? What's up with it? No cheese? You kidding? Just munch on some lettuce. I'm not doing that, you know? What, what? Some of us, you know, go through some crazy exercise program. I'm going to work out four hours a day, you know? Why is it for things like that? Why? We want a shortcut, I talk with the boys on our baseball team all the time, especially my son. I'm like, look, you can take shortcuts and, you know, whatever. You think you might be getting to where you want to get. But in the long run, you know what? To truly be where God wants us to be, maybe it involves a path of discipline. Maybe it involves a path of pain. Maybe it involves a path of growing and experiencing a little bit of suffering. I think our desire for shortcuts are why we have so much unethical behavior in business. It, it's why we, we have so many people who, who run out on their spouses and do things that they shouldn't do. They just don't want to endure the difficulty of building a great marriage. It's why we, It's why kids cheat in school. It's why there's so much dissatisfaction everywhere you look. People just want to get from A to B as quickly as possible. And don't bother me with any of the details. I don't want to have to go through all the tough stuff. And the truth is, we've got the same as adults. We have the same temptations here that Jesus faced. How are you going to get from where you are to where you know God wants you to be? Are you willing to go through the difficult stuff and to be patient and to endure? And even when there's pain, a little bit of stuff that you don't like, are you willing to hang in there and not take shortcuts? I don't think this temptation for Jesus, these three, were about turning stones into bread primarily. Or just primarily about seeing if angels would catch Him or just primarily about a temptation to worship Satan. I think at its core, it's really the same temptation presented to him three different ways. I I, I think all of life, really, to be quite honest with you, I think it's all one big temptation. I think it just comes up over and over in a variety of different ways. Your temptations are going to isolate you. Sometimes, as in Jesus' case, they're going to follow something incredible like His baptism and anointing of the Spirit after success. Sometimes our temptations are going to be very subtle, not always presented as something clearly evil. Sometimes it will resonate with something inside of you. Those temptations are going to be ethical. They're going to be moral. They're going to be sexual. They're going to be physical. They're going to be emotional. All those things. But it always comes back, I really believe, if you look here in the Scripture and you study it, I think it comes back to the same underlying thing over and over and over. And the question in every single temptation, and I think the overarching question of life and everything we face is, do I trust God or don't I? Do I trust God or don't I? And I think that's what made Jesus so incredibly radical. He trusted His Heavenly Father like no one ever had. And I really believe That the way of our master is so radical because it requires us to do something that is so very simple, and that is simply to trust God. I told you it would be like Sunday school. What was the lesson today? Trust God. Really? Yep. That's it. That's all I got. The lesson today you want to live the life that God has called you, that you want something more than what you've experienced, something more than the one foot in, one foot out, something more than, well, kind of casual fan kind of thing, then let me just tell you very simply, the principle is real, simple, and easy, and that is trust God. When? All the time. For what? Everything. Just like Jesus did. So you mean when I'm facing some kind of temptation, when I'm, when I'm considering this or that, the, really the underlying question, the underlying thing in all of it is, do I trust God? Yeah, I think that's what I'm saying. You think about your life right now. All the stuff that you face every single day, the choices you make, underlying every single one of those is, do I trust God or not? And if I trust God, what then should my decision be? What then should my response be? What then should my attitude be? How then should I feel about this or that? And the underlying thing in every single situation in life comes down to this. Do I trust God? I think that's the way the Master. Trust God. Jesus learned over and over and over, and taught over and over and over, and demonstrated over and over and over for His followers that this is what it's all about, to trust God. God and so let me just give you one simple thing to do this week trust God and then do the next thing trust God do the next thing what is it trust God do the next thing a guy named Oswald Chambers who wrote a great devotional book called my utmost for his highest that was his life's theme trust God do the next thing what is it for you I don't know but this week, you're going to encounter something where you're going to say, do I trust God or do I not? And I hope it will be front of mind and say, look, this is really what it's about. Trust God, do the next thing. What is the next thing? I don't know. But trust God and do the next thing. It's as simple and yet as profound as that. It's so simple that we often miss it, and it seems so passive that we just dismiss it and say, no, "I can't be just that. Jesus said, I trust God, so I don't have to do things my way. He said, you know, I trust God, so I don't have to put on a religious show. I, I, I trust God, so I can wait, and I can endure. And when you trust God, those things can be true of you. When you trust God, you don't have to do it your way anymore. It's so freeing. When you trust God, you don't have to put on a religious show. You can just be authentic and say, look, I'm not perfect, but I'm just learning to trust God. <laughs> I'm going to stumble, and I'm going to make mistakes along the way, but my goal is just trust God, do the next thing. And when I don't trust God, I'm just going to repent, I'm going to move on, and here we go. I'm going to confess my sin, and I'm going to trust God, do the next thing. When I trust God, I-, I can wait, and I can endure anything. The temptation this week, as always, is going to be for you not to trust God, for you to do it your way, for you to put on that religious show, for you to take those shortcuts, and my prayer for us, and for you and for me, is that we'll simply trust God. I really believe that is the way of the Master. Trust God, do the next thing. Let's pray together.